welcome back to Bridging the Gap. I, I still don't know the name. It's been like two years we've been doing this. Bridging the Gap um, with Matt Bounds, Mr. Mr. Matthew Bounds, who is talking to us about... Gosh, me very formal in this one. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know what's happened. Uh, 1 Thessalonians. I wasn't here for this on Sunday, so I had to listen back to it on, on my Spotify. I listened to it at 1.2 speed. That was interesting. <laughs> I, I sort of thought. How was it? Should, should I be speaking that speed uh, uh, when I actually preach? Do you think? Oh, I think that would be a challenge. <laughs> did, did I said to you, Hort, there's a times three speed. That is insane. I I, did, I, did you, unless someone's really slow, I just wouldn't be able to follow that. Yeah. I think if you go like 1.2, 1. 1.5, 1. 1.75, 2, then to 3, like to acclimatize to it each time <laughs> might be the way to do it. But yeah, like. A thirty-minute sermon is done in ten minutes, which is just—I'd love to listen to this at three speed just to see what it, it'd be like. Alvin and the Chipmunks, wouldn't oh, it? Would sound great. sound great. It'll be awful, awful. Um, so on Sunday, as I was listening back to it yesterday, I on a walk. There was a lot of plug-in of the Passion for Life <laughs> session that we did on Thursday night, which yeah. is good, obviously, because people have missed out by not not going to that life group. I feel. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. Um, so the sort of phrase of crossing the pain line, why mm. do we need this uh, reminder, this encouragement to cross the pain line? Yeah, I've been giving that some thought when you gave me the heads up on that question. And um, I, I think it's because I'm probably speaking largely for myself here, but it, I reckon it applies to most of us. Mm. It's, it's usually uncomfortable to talk to people about our faith in Jesus. And most of us default to comfort. Why, why you know, we don't want to go outside our comfort zone. That's why we call it a comfort zone. Yeah. So it's not necessary that we're ashamed or embarrassed of the gospel, though at times I suppose we are. Often I think it's just that we seek the comfortable option. We, we look for the, the path of least resistance, the one that maintains the, the status quo, rather than the option of delighted obedience, which is often uncomfortable. So I needed it anyway, that reminder that we do need to often cross that pain line just to start conversations about our faith. I, I need regular prompting to, to do that myself. I felt that about Rico on Thursday night as we listened that he was like comforting, encouraging, convicting, just a lot of different emotions all wrapped up in it, yeah. which brings me to, have you read his book? He did a cheeky plug in the middle of the video for his Honest book. Honest Evangelism. Honest Evangelism. Have uh, you read I it? haven't. I've heard good things about it and uh, I've probably picked up a lot of the content from it actually listening to Rico Tice over the years. Yeah. But I haven't actually read it. So have you read it? Put you on the spot? Yeah, I have it on my bookshelf. It's it's basically that 20-minute or Passion for Life video, you know, bulked out right, into okay. 100 pages. But yeah. really, really helpful. And more, more sort of like where he's coming from, where I think there's a point in his life where he didn't talk to someone about Jesus and then they died. And uh, he was yes, like... Yes, you know, I remember hearing that, even though I haven't read the book. So. He was like, what am I doing? Yeah. not not speaking of jesus so i think if you sort of left on thursday night or you watched the video and felt that this is a bit harsh that's where he's coming from that's what i love about rico tice he's just balanced is such a good word to describe yeah the material he puts out there is, is great yeah um so one thessalonians you know there's a lot in uh the passage from sunday about um you know how Paul loved the Thessalonians, how he was like a father, a mother, how they were like his children. Um, and this might be a wee bit controversial, but... Not like you, Dave. Yeah, shock. Um, how can, if we're supposed to 
be, you know, exemplary in our lives as elders, as leaders, and then also really know and love the people we serve. Hmm. How can that be done in a bigger church? Like it seems like what Paul is saying here is much more conducive to smaller numbers. Like mm-hmm. it's easy for you to be in 20 people's lives yeah. rather than, you know, and let's, yeah, let's attack our American brothers. I don't know how they do it in the church of a thousand people yeah. when we struggle yeah. in the church of, yeah. And well, in some cases, like 10, 15,000 people, it's, yeah. uh, it's hard to get our heads around, isn't it? Especially in the UK context. Yeah. It's, it's a perennial question and, Bear in mind as I answer this, I'm going to have my <laughs> my biases. Yeah. Um, I'm speaking as someone who's only ever pastored in smaller churches, really. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I was on the staff for Highfields, of course, which is, in, especially in a Welsh context, is a large church, uh, one I love very much. But even when I was at Highfields, I was focused particularly on the smaller offshoot <laughs> of what was then called uh, Highfields Pomprenai. Yeah. But of course, it, it did give me a bit of an insight into the challenges of pastoral care in large churches. So in any case, like I said, I've got a particular bias and particular experience. From what I've seen, I think you need to be increasingly intentional about pastoral care as you grow. So a phrase I heard recently, can't remember where I heard it, is that scale can bring separation, Mm. if you're not careful, between the leaders of the church, the elders, and the people in the the pew, to use that phrase. So obviously things like life groups, having pastoral workers, um, every member ministry, these are all vital in any church and they can help maintain contact in a growing church. But but it does seem to me there's an imperative in the New Testament that pastors, elders know and shepherd the whole flock. So in Acts 20, 1 Peter 5, you see um, two different apostles there telling the elders to, to shepherd the flock. Um, calling them overseers and the the strong implication seems to be that those shepherds overseers um, need to know the flock and watch over the flock as a whole so I I don't think you can argue that every elder needs to know every single member really well though I'm tempted to say that's the ideal but it's hard for me to see how the elders as a group can shepherd well if they don't know and have some degree of contact with all the flock in their care so as you put it, I agree, smaller numbers are much more conducive to that sort of love and care and being an example. Now, of course, all that's a challenge, whatever size church you are. And it's not that elders have to meet every need because we're all called to one another, each other in the church. But church, but uh, faithful under shepherds at a bare minimum as a group, I think, need to in some way be watching over everyone who is part of the flock. And of course, this is why membership is important. It helps identify who's in the flock. Um, and that does become, so it's a very long winded answer. I guess what I'm saying is it becomes more difficult to do that the bigger you get. So I I don't think you can't do it, but it's more of a challenge. You've got to be a lot more intentional about it as a church grows. Yeah. Yeah. That's where membership is helpful because you know that these people are committed to the church, to praying for you, to being definitely part of us. I should add the caveat there straight away. And hopefully people in the bridge know this. It doesn't mean if you're not a member, we won't spend time with you or care for you or love you. Not at all. Yeah. But if everybody took the approach of they're not going to become members, it, it, it's just, it's harder to identify who it is that's committed to the church and you should be taking particular care of. So membership fulfills various functions, but that's a big one. Yeah. Um, I suppose as, as we seek to grow, that's one of our sort of strategy vision for the, the years ahead. We want the church to get bigger and more and more people come to know the Lord. 
but that would seem to make it more difficult to know people really well <laughs> um and i know even from talking to people how they miss the the glory days before <laughs> dave lawther and matt bounds when the church <laughs> was smaller yeah. and you know if someone new came in you couldn't miss them like mm. they got such a warm welcome because it was too small yeah. so what what ways can people pray for the bridge church as we do seek to grow yeah i, I it's really important to think about that isn't it because compared to the size that high first pomprano was when it started yeah. we're, we're, we're really big compared to that now yeah um and so we've got to bear that scale in mind um and the effect it has on pastoral care i think yeah how, so how can we pray for the bridge church pray for us as a congregation that we passionately believe in and apply every member ministry so i think that's really important so yeah. i think there is this this general acknowledgement in the bridge church that the elders don't do everything, can't do everything. The elders can't care for every single need. Yeah. And and we don't need to because the, the congregation is so good at loving one another and caring for each other and ministering to each other. So let's keep encouraging every member ministry as we seek to disciple and one another each other. Mm. But then when it comes to pastoring, as in what the pastors and elders do, pray for us as elders as we move forward with our vision to see spiritual growth, conversion growth, and increasing community engagement pray for us that as we plan ministries and think about future elders, future appointment of deacons, stuff like that, that we get the balance and the timing right for the sake of the health of the church. We don't want to move too fast or too slow. And that's often where the wisdom comes in, I think. And pray that our growth as a church is healthy growth, not merely increasing numbers attending on a Sunday, though praise the Lord for good numbers on a Sunday, yeah. but that we're seeing new spiritual life through conversions and the what I talked about on Sunday, the urgent ongoing spiritual growth of believers through ministering the gospel to one another in discipleship. Pray all those things so that we we grow healthily and at a good rate and in a good way. Um whenever we think about that, it is just it's hard it's easy to become complacent, isn't it? When you see other people doing things that catching up, you think, Oh, they're doing this so I don't have to. But it's that they're doing it, so I want to do it as well. Yes, yeah, definitely. It's a helpful reminder, isn't it? And it's, it's very rare, I think, that we would end up doing that too much yeah, for one exactly. another. <laughs> um, on on Sunday, the part of the passage, which I really like, is when Paul says, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. Um, can you give us an example of a time, Matt, when you dared to tell the gospel and it fell completely flat <laughs> although i can do it as well if you want me to but just well uh, yeah you know i'm laughing because there's, there's lots of examples in my head not not lots as in i i shared the i've shared the gospel so much there's hundreds of them but as in i've probably got if i'm honest i've got more recollections of falteringly trying to share the gospel and it falling flat than i have of good ones yeah <laughs> but by god's grace there are good ones um yeah one i can think of a previous colleague i had in a job some years ago and we had a good relationship um a good working relationship we were friends we chat about all sorts of things we car shared a lot but the couple of times i tried to engage and talk about my faith it, it it just felt like it was hitting a brick wall it was kind of a bit of polite interest but not really a glimmer of really being interested to find out more about what i believed and then the, the subject would get changed and it would just every time i tried to get there it would just feel a bit awkward yeah. and shut down um now, there were other occasions where, by God's grace, I had great conversations with people, including one occasion where a colleague stopped his work one day, um, looked up and said, so what do you Christians believe? I couldn't believe he was asking it. Yeah. It was like a gift. 
<laughs> but probably the majority of conversations will fall into the first category, if I'm honest. The thing is, though, uh, and I, this is what I've always reminded myself of since, I, I don't know for sure what was happening in an un- apparently uninterested person. And God can use just a handful of words, can't he, to, to stick in someone's mind and heart and make an impression. So we just seek to share life, share the good news as best we can, knowing that the heart work is done by God. And uh, constantly amazed that he uses jars of clay like us to bring the message of Christ to, to people. Yeah, it's the pebble and shoe, isn't it? Like, yeah. That you, that you go for it and who knows what sort of impression that might make. So uh, to, just to check a question, Mike, just expand what do you mean by pebble in the shoe for anybody who's not familiar with the, the phrase? Um, you know how if you go out for a walk and you get a stone in your shoe, it irritates you <laughs> for ages until you finally stop and take your shoe off yeah. and get that stinking stone out of there. The idea is you put a thought, an idea, yeah. something of Jesus in someone's mind and it'll rattle around and there's so much. Sticks and bugs yeah. them. Yeah, <laughs> in that a good eventually way. they'll be like, I have to find out more yeah. about this. It's annoying me so much. So it's not about us being irritated, but it's about putting something in the, congr- in the conversation that sticks. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's it. Brilliant, yeah. Um, so... On Sunday as well, because daring to tell the gospel is pleasing to God, and often mm. it's not pleasing to man. Mm. So, what does it look like, you know, in day to day life to seek to please God and not man? Maybe firstly in evangelism, and then secondly in discipleship. So, yeah. Um, well, with evangelism, I think uh, what it looks like to not be pleasing people in evangelism is doing it. Yeah. By definition, so seeking to share the good news is by definition not people-pleasing. The, the gospel is offensive in so many ways to a fallen world. So if you're trying to reach out and your motives are love for Jesus and obedience to Jesus, you are by definition not trying to please people. Yeah. Yeah. And then in the discipleship, because mm. that you can feel like you're doing both in that situation, but yeah. will there be times when you have to try to please God more than man, do you think? Yeah, I think in discipleship too. So if you're doing real discipleship, uh, so in other words, as we thought about on Sunday, urgently applying, urging the gospel um, into one another's lives so that we can walk worthy of God, keep on running the race with endurance, living for our coming king and his coming kingdom. So for example, if I'm meeting with a friend in church and you know, I would hope that we'd, we'd just enjoy hanging out and have a good time, but yeah. if I'm only ever hanging out with them and talking about other things, if I'm never reading, or talking about the Bible, if I never challenge him and he never challenges me, the chances are that I'm just engaging in a bit of social people-pleasing and not really discipleship, not really engaging in true Christian friendship. We need to be uh, seeking and praying for discipleship relationships like this. Uh, as we've said many times before, if you if you see your need for that, by the way, you're listening to this and you, you want to be in that sort of a, a regular meetup, regular relationship, and you don't know where to start, come and talk to one of us and keep engaging in life group too, because that's where friendships can really start to grow in which we can do proper disciples. So uh, what I'm saying there is if we're doing proper discipleship, if you and I've got that relationship day where we're ministering the gospel to each other, mm. there'll be times we do please each other in that and times we definitely don't yeah. because I'll be saying, Dave, you know, I, I think what I'm seeing here isn't an outworking of the gospel in your life. Come on. Yeah. Uh, and vice versa. Yeah. I think that's as well. It's interesting. Isn't it? Whenever you do meet up with people, the devil doesn't want you to open the Bible or to pray, so he'll make you think, yeah. oh, this is really weird, this is stupid, like it's going to ruin the friendship, and you're like, no, this is something eternally worthwhile to 
please, please God. And yeah, rather than please myself for my own comfort, that's yeah. half the time the thing I'm trying to please. Um, so again, sort of the circle back around to this sort of intimate, caring and loving language that Paul uses. How, how do you think, you know, life group leaders, elders, um, children's workers, youth workers, how do they do this sort of like caring and loving for people in a way that's not like overbearing or invasive, mm. where it's like, you know, you're constantly pest, pestering someone. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose wisdom is part of it. We just got to constantly be praying for that biblical wisdom in, yeah. the, in the way we say things and how often we say it. But I think it comes back to the previous question and answer as well, rooting it in relationship. Yeah. So that, that's a challenge in a busy church and in a culture like ours, um, Western culture. But again, as we considered Sunday, proclaiming the gospel, whether it's to an unbelieving friend in evangelism or to a Christian friend in discipleship, that happened for Paul in a context of sharing life, practically loving people, being with them a lot, bearing his soul to them. So if we as leaders, disciples, parents, friends, if we're not investing time in people, the people we're trying to serve, it'll be hard to bring a challenge as well as encouragement without seeming overbearing or invasive. But if there's friendship there, if there's a relationship, it's different. It's still uncomfortable, yeah. but it's, it's more acceptable and less overbearing. You know, I've I've been challenged about this again recently, both through Passion for Life and reading through 1 Thessalonians, especially regarding my non-Christian friends and neighbors. I need to be in their lives uh, more than I am. Mm. It's, it's got to be about relationship. Yeah. Um, I've done these questions in a really bad way, Matt. Sorry. But it's going back to that idea of... Um, pleasing god and not man mm. do you think it's possible to please both god and people uh yeah i think it's possible sometimes but not always is the answer to that one i think so in the ideal world if we're serving god truly and it, and his people are all working close walking close to him then both god and they will be pleased with us when we try and minister the gospel yeah uh, that's what a, a mature jesus loving church should ideally be like but then you get real life, don't you? And we're all sinners. Yeah. Um, we're still in dwelling sin. Often, if a person is truly pleasing God, they won't, They might not be pleasing me. So if out of love for God and out of love for me, you bring me a challenge or a rebuke, unless I'm in a really good place, a soft-hearted place, I'm likely not to be pleased by that, yeah. at least not initially. So often, if you're pleasing God, truly pleasing God, it's not necessarily going to be pleasing me. Um, so the bottom line is that, even if, maybe especially if we're being obedient to Jesus, we'll often not please people, even Christians, which is why it should never be our main aim to please people. So serve them, yes. Love them, yes. And where I, where, you know, where I can be obedient to God and bring joy to you, praise the Lord. But if I have pleasing people, pleasing you is my main aim, that's, that's slippery ground. Mm. Uh, by the way, I, I probably should check in here that I'm not, I'm not talking here about the kind of perverse attitude people sometimes have, Christians sometimes have, that they feel if they're constantly getting other people's under other people's skin or being aggressive and deliberately upsetting, they're therefore doing the Lord's work. Yeah, that's no, <laughs> Nothing can be further from the truth. We're told to speak the truth in love. And some of us, I know I've said this a bunch of times before, some of us are very good at the truth bit, but there's not a lot of love in the way we do it. Yeah. Others of us love to be loving, but we aren't very good at wise truth telling so our aim is to be like jesus and speak the truth in love so thinking that through again so we read about how paul was like a father to the thessalonians uh comforting encouraging 
urging them to yeah. live lives worthy of the Lord. Mm. Um, can you give us? Can you t- tell us a, a time when someone acted like a father to you in your Christian faith, just so yeah. people have yeah. like? So people know that this isn't just some sort of random concept yeah. that actually happens. Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll take the risk of naming names here. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I, first of all, I'm, I'm really fortunate, well, fortunate is the wrong word, blessed to be able to say that my actual dad has been a wonderful father in the faith to me and my mum a wonderful mother in the faith. Yeah. I'm conscious a lot of people can't say that. A lot of people in the bridge can't say that. So I'm, I'm aware it's a really undeserved blessing, but that's been the case for me. But there have also been others who've been like spiritual parents to me um, to some degree, or maybe spiritual aunts or uncles, if you like. Mm. A previous pastor in Swansea, Alastair, from some years back, and his wife, Senga, they, they were that to me and Kath, especially before and during my early years in ministry. Um, for a short time, lovely pastor in Carmarthen, Chris Rogers. He was very much um, like that to me, but sort of a bit of a mentor and a spiritual parent. And that was too long since I hung out with him. Um, someone you'll know, Phil Swan, yeah. for example. I said I'd do some shout-outs. He's been a real help and at times a mentor to me. Um, and the thing about some of those people is that uh, I don't necessarily see or speak to them much now, but, mm-hmm. they, but there was a season in life where they were very much were that to me and the Lord provided them. And it reminds me that the church needs spiritual mums and dads, aunts and uncles, and I've been grateful for, for lots of them in my life. Yeah, I think that's... You, it sort of touches on friendship generally, doesn't it? There, where mm. you know you haven't seen someone in ages, but they still have a special place in your heart, and you still love to see them again. Yeah. But sometimes we think friendship has to mean you know, seeing them lots, mm. doing lots of things with them, and actually, mm. it's a little bit simpler than that. Yes, and it, it's also one of the distinctives of the church that it, those sort of friendships that we have tend to be multi generational, whereas yeah. in the world it's often. Most of the time, you're hanging out with people similar interests, similar background, similar age. Yeah. In the church, it's not. It's yeah. all ages and stages, and that's that's a powerful thing. Yeah, yeah, it's quite cool to have like spiritual grannies and grandas as well. Yeah. Um. So, this is the the last question. Um. I noticed you said it twice. It made me laugh listening to it. Um. Good evangelicals. <laughs> one. What I knew I was going to regret using well, that yeah. phrase. One. What does that even mean? Two. Um. You you talk about how good evangelicals get very twitchy about living lives of obedience to Jesus. Yeah. What, why is that the case? <laughs> I was kind of being tongue-in-cheek, and I've, I, like I said, I, I knew I might regret using that phrase. So, I mean, I suppose, first of all, I should just say evangelicals become a very plastic term. It's different things to different people. When I use that word, I use it in what I think is the more traditional historical sense of someone who believes the evangel, the gospel, mm. of what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection they believe it because they trust God's word and they proclaim it. So that, that's what I mean by an evangelical. Yeah. Um, and so when I say good evangelicals, I'm talking about the broad swathe of traditional evangelicals, not necessarily traditional in style, but yeah, they, traditional beliefs. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So Protestant evangelicals. And so I think it's an historical thing. So you use the word Protestant. Um, Protestant evangelicals have by definition come out of and exist out of a reaction against Roman Catholic mm. theology. Um, so Roman Catholic theology emphasizes the fact that we're justified, forgiven, by faith plus works rather than by faith alone. So so as Protestant evangelicals at time, we we probably let the pendulum swing too far the other way, reacting against that theology. And we've got to the point where it's almost as if talking about good works and obedience to commands is a dangerous thing that shouldn't be emphasized too much. 
But that's to lose sight of the fact that we're justified by faith alone, yes. But the Jesus who has justified us then says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. He tells me to walk worthy of him. His word tells me that when I obey him, united to him by faith and out of love for him, the Father is pleased. We thought about that on Sunday as well. Amazing, isn't it? And uh, instantly shout out to Elaine McDonald who grabbed me afterwards. She mentioned Hebrews eleven six. there. You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. Implication, when we have faith, we, can we please, please God. God. Not savingly, but we please him. So historically, I think it's about an historical overreaction against Roman Catholic theology. There's probably another historical overreaction from evangelical history that comes into play. So 19th, 20th century in particular, the church had to contend with what was labeled liberal theology, or at least with a tendency towards liberal theology. And, and that theology tended to underemphasize core gospel truths and would often focus, um, overly focus on good works, works of mercy. So being, being, um, doing works of social so, justice out in the world. So like providing food for yeah. families, uh, clothing for the homeless, etc. And they're yeah. doing that to the neglect of the gospel. Absolutely. But I think the problem has been that, again, it's been a, probably a pendulum swing. We've overreacted to that that sort of social gospel. Yeah. And we've said, because of their emphases, if you do social stuff, if you care for community and society, yeah then uh, you are somehow compromising and that could be a dangerous thing. And we still see this, you know, we still see this today in some church traditions, that the gospel of sin and the cross and hope of heaven is downplayed or cut out altogether, whether that gets labeled progressive Christianity or whatever. Yeah. I imagine, um, I'm aware that we don't have, we only have like four minutes left of recording, but I'm aware that probably some people might look at John Funnell's church, for example, and since he's doing so much in the community yeah. to help people, people would immediately maybe be skeptical and say well he's obviously not you know a very that's kind of the point i think yeah for yeah. historical reasons i think some traditional evangelicals would be a bit at least nervous of an accident or is that social gospel is that neglecting the gospel and yeah. the answer is no, no it doesn't have yeah. to be because yeah we've heard him proclaim the gospel and he loves to do that so i think if you're keeping yeah exactly and yeah. if you're keeping gospel proclamation at the center yeah should we also be doing these other things in the right way, in the wise way, in a balanced way, yes, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes good evangelicals, in inverted commas, have reacted too far in the other direction. Okay, I see. Yeah, I suppose that's what we need to be mindful of, that we want the pendulum to be in the middle rather than swinging to either extreme. Yeah, um, I think on most things, yeah. And I suppose whenever we see people do stuff that we're really bad at and they're doing it really well, we assume that something must be wrong. Isn't yeah. that half the yeah, case? Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, that was a good rehistory lesson there. Yeah, we do, yeah, that went quicker than I thought. Um, we'd already got there. Speaking of history lessons, um, a little bonus pod dropping with um, special guest teacher. I'm not gonna say more than oh, that. Oh, I only said his name then. Sorry, I realized yeah. who you were talking about. You want to keep it a oh yeah teaser, do you? Okay, yeah, tease it. Um, so internal the, guest speaker. Yeah, so two podcasts out this week. Two. Um, yeah, oh, I see this one. This one, the extra. Gotcha. <laughs> so went two extras. Yeah, so there you are. We communicate very well in the team, as you can tell. Yeah, obviously. Right. Um. See you on Sunday. Next installment of Thessalonians from Dave Lawler. Yeah, guilty. See you then. Bye.